to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. As we continue in our series uh, on Jesus' great I Am statements, and I'm going to read to you also a portion from Isaiah 60. And while you turn to those, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, tonight at our uh, communion service, uh, Reverend Sam Goodwin will also be giving an update on uh, uh, their uh, future ministry and progress towards that uh, in terms of where God is calling them. Uh, so I hope you'll be here for that as well. And then next Sunday morning during Sunday school, we mentioned that it will be in here. Well, our plan is to Skype with uh, as many of our missionaries as we're able to at that time. And if, if you've been here in the past for that, you know what a, a great experience that is to be able to talk with them live. So I hope you'll be here for both of those times. In Isaiah 60, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. Then in John 8, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you enable us as we continue to worship you Enable us to hear from you. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are open to you. And Lord, as we sit before you, some of us don't even know what our needs are. Some of us think we know what they are. Will you address our real and deepest needs in Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. Now, each, each time we uh, deal with one of these I am statements, we look, of course, at uh, the context, and I want us to uh, understand what was leading up to this statement as well. In John 7, we have the Feast of the Booths. Now, one aspect of that, and this is a, a multiple sermons just in and of itself, but one aspect of that uh, that feast would be celebrating how God had provided uh, water for his people when they were in the wilderness, how he had taken care of them, and uh, they celebrated that every year. Another aspect was remembering how he led them through a pillar of cloud in the day, and a pillar of fire at night. How he showed himself to always be in their midst, them surrounding him, 
protected by that and able to know where to go when by that specific guidance. Now, the way they commemorated that was that uh, on, on the first night and um, reportedly on uh, other nights after that, uh, they would light these uh, huge uh, lights, these lamps, and they were meant to recall that. And, and it's reported that uh, the lamps and the light from those were so bright that they touched every quarter of the city. Now that's some big light in that particular day. Now I want you to put that on file for a moment. Jesus is going to use that as a, a, a background, referring to that which was on their mind at that point, but just keep that on the side burner. Because what we see uh, by way of immediate context is a very sad confrontation. Now, if you have your Bible and you see in John 7, 53 to 8, 11, if you look carefully, as you should look carefully, you will see some notes there. And it will speak to uh, the manuscripts that those came from, and it says uh, something along the lines that it's not included in all of the manuscripts, uh, and yet you see it here included in our translation. Now, we always want to be honest with the text, and I always want to point those things out to you. We're not hiding that in any sense. Uh, there is a science of interpretation of the text. Uh, I, I would be glad to go into it with any of you specifically why I made this decision, but as I've studied it, I think that uh, we can honestly use this. I think it's in a good place. It makes sense by way of context and content. And so I believe that uh, we can use this text as it's presented here. Here is what happened. Jesus is teaching at the temple. In the middle of his teaching, scribes and Pharisees, as they like to do, interrupted it. But the way they interrupted it this time was most unusual. They brought a woman with them, and they said, this woman not was accused of adultery, not that this woman has a reputation for adultery. This woman, Jesus, we present to you, was caught in the act of adultery. She stood there, already no doubt having been humiliated. And the scribes and Pharisees, knowing what uh, the punishment for that would be. What, what do we do with somebody who's caught in the act of adultery? Well, what we do is we stone them. We kill them. That's the punishment. Okay, Jesus, how about your response? No doubt their desire was to implicate, to draw him in, 
or to cause him to deny the law and say, no, we're not going to do that, you know, do something to trick him at that point in this dilemma that they presented before him. And so, when presented to Jesus, his response was to bend down and write on the ground something. Rather peculiar response, isn't it? I wonder what he was writing. Well, there's been a lot of speculation on that. Some believe that he leaned down and there in the dirt or sand, he began to write the Ten Commandments. Of course, everyone would have leaned in to see what in the world he was writing and so on. But we simply do not know. But that was his response. Then Jesus told those who wanted to stone the woman, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bent down again and began to write some more. It says, one by one, beginning with the oldest. (laughs) I think that's interesting that they would put that in there. But beginning with the oldest. The oldest who I might put in there had had longer to sin. (laughs) Maybe understood themselves better than those who were younger at that point and saw their own shortcomings, who knows. But one by one, they left. And then he got up, and he says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, if he had just said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either, then I probably would have had more questions about this. Because I, you know, she, he would have left her in her sin with a lifestyle that was contrary to what God has, had clearly said was right and was best for her. But instead, because here is the God-man who can look into the heart, he said, go. But walk away from that life. Sin no more. Her sin was exposed by the scribes and Pharisees Their sin was exposed by Jesus. And then we continue on with the larger backdrop. I read it to you earlier from Isaiah 60. I'll not read it again, but it talks about the darkness. And and when you think of a backdrop, if you just picture a, a, a big, like in a play or something, a black curtain Uh, as dark as it can be, as the backdrop of what's about to take place. Thick darkness 
on all the peoples. But a light has come. Then we go forward to John 1. Verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light exposes darkness. It doesn't make darkness, but it makes it clear how dark it is. If you go outside when it's really dark, like in the evening, let's say you're out camping, no lights around. As the sun begins to go down, and it gets darker, and then it's dusk, and then it's early evening, your, your eyes naturally adjust. And you don't even realize just how dark it is, but if you were standing there and your eyes had adjusted and, and uh, opened up so you could see more in that dim light, if someone took a spotlight, you know, like when you were in the scouts, <laughs> you know, and put it on your face, you would realize just how dark it was. And that's what this is saying. Christ's coming did that to a dark world. As long as the world was in darkness, people could compare themselves to others who were in darkness. I'm not so bad or needy when I compare myself with others who are needy sinners. But then when you come into the presence of the light, you're exposed. And you realize just what darkness you were in. So, what was the reaction to him? Well, we move forward in John. John 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. <clears throat> the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather. This is verse 19 of John 3. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Those walking in darkness were exposed, and they didn't like it a bit. They hated the light. Just like the scribes and Pharisees, they felt like we're walking in the light, she's the one in darkness. And then they, they were confronted by Jesus, and they realized they were walking in darkness, or at least were convicted by it, and saw they had nothing to speak to that situation. And that leads us to the true source of light. Jesus spoke to them, John 8, verse 12. I am, remember last week we talked about that being the name for God whenever he uses that. People get upset because they realize his claim. I am, he says, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember the context. The Jews had just finished this festival of booths. Take this off the shelf. I told you to put it on earlier. And they, no doubt, every year would be struck by those, those uh, big lamps that were, were lighting up their city at night. But the festival was over. And the lights, the lamps were now dark. And on the heels of that, 
as they're thinking about this light. Jesus says, I'm the light. It's not about a cloud or a pillar of fire. I am that light. I am the hope for salvation. C.S. Lewis said in The Weight of Glory, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He was saying, look, in the, in the light of Christ, everything else becomes more clear. There is an urgency about the light as we go on through the book of John. In John 9, verse 4, Jesus said, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then what else did he do with the light? John 12, 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. That last phrase, overtake, is a, it's a, a sports term. And the, the best, uh, what, what it would have meant to them in that day, uh, I had a, a son who was uh, uh, in school, was a wrestler. We got wrestlers here in this church. Well, uh, if you've ever seen wrestling, not wrestling, wrestling, it's it, the idea of a takedown. In other words, it's saying that's what the darkness is. It's aggressive. It will overcome in the sense of uh, a takedown. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So here's the challenge. He says, this is not something you can remain neutral about. As with all of his I am statements, there's a confrontation. What will be my response to the light? We saw earlier in John that the response of some is to hate the light because their deeds are exposed and they know they're evil. So they take it out on that which has exposed them. You have your outline. You see I have a statement there, my walk in darkness. Here's why I put it that way. Because everyone in this sanctuary today, you either were walking in darkness or you still are right now. You either formerly were in the darkness and now are walking in the light, or according to Jesus, according to the sacred word of God, you're still in the darkness. 
Some of you stumbled into here from a walk in darkness. What do you mean? Well, there are times Jesus called hell outer darkness. What I mean is that if you're walking in the darkness, and if you were to die today, you would go for eternity to the outer darkness. Now that makes my heart ache to have to tell you that. But how unloving would it be not to warn you of that when Jesus has made it so very clear. How do I get out of this darkness? Well, if you have that desire, that means God's working in your heart. You need repentance from sin, faith in Christ, trusting in Him alone, not in your own works. That's your only hope. I want to emphasize you're either in light or darkness and you can't have it both ways. There is no dusk that you can walk in. And then there are some of you who are children of the light. You have committed your life to Christ, but you're inching your way toward, maybe making large steps toward the darkness. You have to decide if you're going to live as a child of the light or a child of the darkness. You cannot have it both ways. Jesus said, as long as he's in the world, he was the light. But then he turned to us, those who were following him, and he said, okay, you're the light of the world. So it's given to us. You who are in Christ, if you're in darkness, it's not given to you to share with others. But if you're in Christ, instead of us saying, yeah, he's the I am, go see him, he says, look, I'm, I'm going to go away. He's sitting on the right hand of God the Father right now, and he says, here's my plan. You're the light. So I, I want to apply that on, on two levels. One is those who are in darkness next door. That may be literally your next door neighbor. It may be someone down the street or it may you drove by their house today and they're living in the darkness. You are the light for them to point them to Christ. And it may be more literally someone whose room you walked by in your own household. You are the light to them. You are the hope so that they will not spend eternity in the outer darkness. And then it reminds us of the call to global missions. I, I couldn't have planned this, but uh, in terms of saying, okay, well, that'll be right before the missions conference, that'd be a, a great time to apply that, but God somehow overrules my little plans. But, but this is exactly what global missions is about, and we're entering into our, our 
conference the next couple of weeks. Next week we began, we are called to be the light of our world. In Acts, and this is the verse that we're using for our conference, it says this, you'll receive power, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're talking about. Your Jerusalem is your, your little neighborhood or the people you drove by today or the people in your own household. And we're responsible there and then further and further away. It's our responsibility, it's our privilege as well. I was uh, speaking one winter's night at the Green Valley Presbyterian Church in Carmichael's, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was partway through the message I had, had the Bible on a podium in front of me, and the lights went out. Now, in midwinter in uh, Pennsylvania, it's real dark about that time. And so I said to them, because I was up front and in charge, remain calm. Just stay for a moment and probably the lights will come back on. I had no idea if the lights would come on or not, but that's just what you say when you're winging it up front. Well, we stayed calm and remained. The lights didn't come back on. But I didn't realize it because it was so dark, but one of the coal miners from that congregation had gone out to his truck and he came walking back in with his helmet with the lantern on the front and he walked up front and crowned me. <laughs> with the lantern. And the lights continued to be out but I pointed it toward the Bible, and we continued to study. I really don't know what made me think of that this week, but when I did think of it, uh, and I got some laughs myself thinking of that evening, it dawned on me, that's a picture of our calling. We are surrounded by darkness. And we have been given the light to point not at ourselves. Wouldn't have done any good to, for him to stand there and point it at me. But instead to point to the Word of God and the God of the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our calling because he is the light. Let's bow together. Lord, what a high and rich calling you've given to us and rather intimidating. Some of us have driven by those neighbors' homes for a long time and, and never bothered. Some of us have given up on that one in our own household that 
that is in the darkness but doesn't seem to want to listen. And Lord, the reality is that uh, it's not about us shining the light on ourselves. That would be useless. It would be detrimental. But will you help us to shine your light, to reflect your light in this world where you've called us to be the light? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.